Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You are now tuned in to the Roto Experts. Right and shine, fantasy players. Today in the neighborhood, Thursday, June 7th. Let's cock a doodle to it because it's Roto Experts in the morning right here on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Dane Martinez. They call me Speed, Spit, and Statistician. We are joined, as always, by my man, the king, Scott Angle. Hey, Scott, uh, how you doing today? How you doing today? How you feeling? We have our first trade leading up maybe to the trading deadline. It looks like uh, the Kansas City Royals have declared we knew they were sellers. Uh, the trading season, I think, begins in Major League Baseball. Scott, how you feeling? Doing all right. Uh, yeah, John Jay going to the uh, Diamondbacks. You know, A.J. Pollock still out for an extensive period. Uh, Jared Dyson, who I picked up in two leagues, mm. uh, has run hot and cold, but I don't think they can did he believe he can hold the job full-time. Uh, Jay is hit for average for fantasy, owners, yeah. for ha- fantasy owners who have him. Uh, the counting numbers haven't been too friendly, but... He can certainly help your teams in t- in terms of getting on base. You know, not not a major trade from any fantasy perspective. Uh, if you did have Jay in an AL only league, you, you lose the rights to him right. now in some formats, but it's not a major loss. Fair enough, but let's talk about Jay a little bit because I actually think he goes from you know just kind of a fringe kind of player to maybe more viable. Scott, I mean, like you said, he is hitting 307, and I think he can wind up in the top of that Arizona order. And, you know, moving from the Kansas City order to the Arizona order, I think you get a little bit more chance of run scored, some of those counting stats there. And also, let's let's be real about this, Scott. Our guy Paul Goldschmidt is heating up, so maybe he'll be knocking him in. Gold Eagles 4 for 5 yesterday with three doubles. He was at like 220 yesterday, going 4 for 5. He's up to 233, Scott. And I actually think, listen, uh, the D-backs outfield has had a lot of injuries, as you mentioned, Pollock and others. You know, he's going to get regular bats, I think, at the top of an Arizona order. Um, I think he actually becomes more viable in fantasy. John Jay, I mean. Yeah, I disagree with you, okay. uh, especially during the month of May. Arizona really scuffled. They're 26 in Major League Baseball in uh, team batting and in runs scored. So uh, I, I really – actually, Kansas City is two spots ahead of them in, in both categories. So I, I don't think it's uh, it, it's a great change for him. But ha- we 
do acknowledge, though, that Goldie is getting hot, right? And can't that be a That's big difference? one player. Like, it's a pretty big player, and it's the one who's going to be it is. probably a couple of spots right behind him. It you is, know, you it is they... but, you know, Manny Machado is, is having a terrific year, but Baltimore is 29th. Uh, you know, in the same categories I mentioned. Yep. So it's I don't I don't think one player is going to make for a big change there. This is true. I, I would just say you were talking about like them in the month of May, and you know that was still when a guy like Goldie was you know on the interstate. Well, overall maybe. they're overall they're twenty six. So yeah. uh, you know they're, they're really not hitting as hitting as a team. You know, there's other guys who have been scuffling besides Goldschmidt. So let's say you're in an NL only league, right? And John Jay now appears in your player universe. Right, um, you don't you don't think you necessarily need to go out and get him? I thought I thought he would carry some value at the top of the lineup. I'm not um, saying he's useless. Okay, you know I'm certainly not in, inferring that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, John Jay is uh, he's a veteran guy who knows how to get on base, but he's never been much of a fantasy player. If you play in an OBP league, his OBP is 363 right now. Uh, so that certainly helps. The batting average is 307, but he's got he's got one homer. He's got three stolen bases. He's got a decent amount of RBI. So you you need like a fifth, sixth outfielder to kind of plug in, you know. But he's hmm. he's not really that exciting for fantasy purposes. Okay, fair enough. Maybe he will help the Arizona Diamondbacks more than your fantasy team because listen, the Diamondbacks have been struggling with injuries in the outfield. In this game, also. Uh, where the uh, Giants get a W over Arizona. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Hunter Strickland comes in and pitches the 10th. Listen, you can't get a save when you're at home, right, in extra innings. So, in essence, what a lot of teams do is use their closer in that kind of 10th inning to keep the game, extend the game for their offense to do its thing. That's what happened in San Francisco. It still looks like it's Strickland in that place. There was no Mark Melanson in that game. Um, anybody on the Giants side of this that you want to talk about at all. I did think it was interesting that Strickland still kind of in that role, although it wasn't, you know, it was still it was an extra inning game, so it was a little bit different. The Giants are at 500 right now. Scott, do you think they're going to be buyers or sellers moving forward because we've talked about guys like, you know, my my pipe dream is a guy like Madison Bumgarner shaking free. You know, do you how do you think the Giants are going to go? Listen, the Arizona Diamondbacks declared they're making moves. They're three games over. The Giants hovering at 500. No one's really running away with that decision. What do you think the Giants are going to do moving forward? Well, a few games here and there. You know, the Giants are, like, right back in it. So right. uh, I think that yet has yet to be determined whether they're going to be buyers or sellers at all. Uh, a lot of reports, you know, assuming that, that they're going to be sellers right now. Uh, you know, on the Giants side, though, Brandon Crawford with, with two more hits on an RBI last night. He's hitting 324 and he's having a terrific year. Mac Williamson last night with uh, with a walk, a, a run, and a hit. Uh, Hunter Pence is back from the DL, but Mac Williamson is going to continue to stay in there, and he's been a nice pickup as well. Not much else to see on on the on the on the, uh, on the side of San Francisco. Joe Panic is back. He's hitting 268. You know, not a guy you're going to get a ton of production right. for, but he's not he's not going to hurt you either. Uh, Chris Stratton had a four-game winning streak last night. Snap, but he still pitched pretty well. Uh, you know, as far as like the Yankees getting Bumgarner, you know, that's that seems like a long shot. It's Bumgarner's like a signature player for the Giants. It, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility that he could be dealt, but that would be a big shocker, and I think the Yankees would have to give up a heck of a lot.
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. But if one team has the farm system to kind of do it, you know what I mean, Scott? You know, the, the Chance Adams, the Clint Frazier's shoot. This point in time, I'd even throw, I'd even throw a guy like Dylan Batances in that mix myself that I would get rid of. But I there digress. We go. The Yankees have the best farm system in the majors now, too. Uh, right? they, 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 they do. They have at least a top three farm system by all accounts. But we will keep moving on. But speaking of the Yankees, Scott, listen. I'm, I'm, I was, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually going to, uh, to verify this. According to MLB Pipeline, the best, uh, the best, uh, farm, best system. farm systems – the Padres, number one. The Braves, number two. I think the Braves have been put together a spectacular farm system. Yeah. The White Sox, three. The Rays, four. The Phillies, five. The Yankees, sixth. All right. Well, listen. Just a couple of uh, just a couple of weeks ago, that Yankees farm system would have also have included Glaber Torres. So we'll see how that uh, changes some of those. Is this, I, am I on FNTSY or the Yes Network here? I'm not sure. Fair enough, but listen. Yeah. Let's dive on in. I do this center one stage. Thing. One more thing about that. one more thing about the Yankees. I was going to go there next, but you know, sometimes you wrote, you bait me into it, Scott. But listen, I was watching the NBA Finals a little right. bit last night, right? And then I turn over and I see it's zero zero in like the twelfth inning or the thirteenth inning, and I'm like, whoa! Let me check this out because you know they're in the thirteenth and uh, Judge and Stan are coming up, right? So I was like, oh, let me just catch these at bats real quick, and then right. boom. Boom, you know, boom, yeah. boom, Judge goes for his 17th, Stanton with his 14th. Don't look now, you know, but these guys are on pace to once again both be, you know, over 40 home runs. So I'm not worried about that at all, okay? Let's talk about this. Well, li- well look, oh, go ahead. Well, listen, listen, John and Susan. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> you know, this was uh, this was a really good pitching matchup. That's what night. I was going to mention. I was going to go expect it. You know, Sonny Gray's actually turned yes. two quality starts in a row now. Yes, and that that would certainly certainly help the Yankees. That's where but, I was uh, going to go, Scott. Yeah, I mean, but we talk about Sam Cla- Sam Claviglio actually pitched well on the other side. This is a guy that hasn't stayed healthy, uh, but you know, has pitched well in spurts in the past. But you know, that's an awful lineup right now. It's like. As Roto World was pointing out this morning, I think five guys in the uh, in the Toronto starting lineup are like hitting under two fifteen. So you know that's you, you got to remember that certainly when 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 you're playing daily. Absolutely, uh, that is where I was going to go. You know, talking about how Sonny Gray goes eight innings of shutout ball, striking out eight. You know, you were mentioned the idea of Madison Bumgarner being my pipe dream. You, we said yesterday that. We, you know, in the trading deadline last year, the Yanks thought Sonny Gray maybe could have been that piece. Um, and as you mentioned, he's, he's, he's starting to pitch a little bit better. And then you mentioned the Toronto offense. They are, in fact, struggling. You know what I've been advocating for for now at this point about three weeks. But there is cause for pause on that as well, Scott. I don't know if you saw, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. left his minor league game yesterday kind of with a maybe re-aggravating a left leg injury. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, kind of promoting him. We thought when Donaldson went down that it created an opportunity. But there's going to be some pause on that as well, Scott. It looks like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got banged up. And that's the last thing Blue Jays fans want to see. Um, you mentioned the offense struggling. It doesn't look this like it's a major injury, though. From but the still, you got to figure they're going to be extremely cautious with this kind of kid, right? It doesn't look like it's a major injury, though. I don't think there's – I'm not sensing any panic from what I'm I'm reading. 
I understand that, but I'm saying you just rush him. You would never rush him. This will just make the push the promotion back a little bit. They've been talking about it internally, but I don't think this is a major piece of news where people are going to start to panic in Toronto all of a sudden. He's not like he's out for the season or out indefinitely or anything like that. So let me ask you this, though. Let's say you're in a very deep league or a kind of dynasty league or something like that or a really deep league where you, you know, amidst reports of this, you, like, maybe put him on your bench and stashed him or something like that for hoping for a, bo- uh, a boost a little bit later on in the year as when you've seen Glaber Torres and Juan Soto and Austin Meadows and others. Maybe you were trying to get ahead of the curve and are stashing him. Now it looks like he might not come back. I understand it's not a huge injury, but you got to think they're going to be cautious with him and it probably pushed back his date to come up to the show. Right, Scott? I don't know how much he's going to push it back. Maybe does it pass, push it back a few days? It's I wouldn't overreact to this okay. uh, you know, whatsoever unless I see a different report and I'll tell you about it. But uh, I think a lot of fantasy owners, if they have the room, have already stashed them already. I think a lot of teams that haven't stashed them, either A, not paying attention, or B, they just don't have the room. Right. All right. Fair enough. You know, I was just thinking about it in terms of, like you said, that uh, Toronto offense right now is struggling. And, you know, he kind of represents the, the hope of Calvary at some point. Another game well, I want to get. I don't, I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's a situation of where they have to bolster the offense to get back in contention at some point. You know, they're just, you know, going to send up the old surrender flag and say, right. you know, let's give these Let kids the a kids chance. Play. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go to another game, Scott, where you talk about some struggling offenses. Again, here in New York at City Field, the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Mets, a one nothing final. Um, I want to talk about these two pitchers. They were two good starting outings, identical, scoreless seven innings with five strikeouts, identical lines out of Zach Wheeler and Dylan Bundy. Um, Scott, you know, we've heard a lot about these two kids. You know, they've had injury concerns. They've had flashes. You know, which of these two guys, Scott, would you be more kind of, uh, I don't know, comfortable or confident in moving forward for fantasy? Zach Wheeler or Dylan Bundy? Is it Bundy? Bundy's has now had four quality starts. In his he's also got five blown outings. up a few times. Yeah. He's, you know, that game against, I think it was against Houston where he had right. like, the worst one of the third inning in, like, in the history of baseball. Exactly. Uh, I, th- I think I'm leaning slightly towards Wheeler, although, hmm. you know, Eve, both of these guys are not easy to trust. Wheeler has a seven-game uh, – seven game, uh, in the last seven games, he, he has not been able to get a win. But in his last two, he's allowed two earned runs in three of his last four. He's allowed a total of three earned runs. He's, he's had, he's had uh, three – Four performances of four runs or or more. He's he's been very very inconsistent. Both of these guys are very inconsistent. I don't think I can trust either one of them. But I think the Mets offense at some point has to turn around. That bodes better overall overall for run support, which I think would be the tiebreaker here between Bundy and uh, between Bundy and Wheeler. But I don't think most most fantasy players are in a position where they have both of them and they got to decide between one of them. So. You know, they're pretty much the same fantasy pitcher to me. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not saying a, uh, um, someone would have both of them on their fantasy staff. I was just thinking that they are, you know, like you mentioned, uh, kind of close and kind of similar. So it's just a way to kind of get your take on both of them. I wasn't necessarily thinking that a manager would have that Wheeler, Wheeler's Wheeler's looking sharper. He's looking sharper okay. lately. 
uh, especially two of the last three. He's taken advantage of good matchups. Haven't gotten the run support. He's faced Miami. He's faced Baltimore. Uh, but you have to keep those in mind as well. You have to you have to beat those teams and or pitch well against them to be considered decent. You know, Wheeler in the preseason, they were mm-hmm. talking he was going to the bullpen, and he just wasn't having it. And then Harvey was was awful. So it you know, opened up something for Wheeler here, but. Not somebody I, I can trust. I don't, I, I don't trust either one of these guys. I think I think uh, I think Bundy has more upside still, but hmm. Wheeler may have the safer floor overall. But the Mets have scored two runs or less in ten of their last twelve. It only scored one run in two games against the seventeen win Orioles coming in, who are now not the nineteen win Orioles. Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good. After that, real quick, I think they, was, they started what eleven and one. I think the Mets started yeah. Scott. Uh, mm-hmm. Since then, you know, it has not been good. There, uh, you know, after that hot start, it's it's like been it's been incredible highs and incredible lows. Which is, you know, being a Met fan my whole life is, you know, that's actually what the franchise is. You know, incredible yeah. highs or incredible lows, and no middle ground. I, I th- I think that they are going to settle in a middle ground somewhere. They're they're not as good as they were early, and I don't think they're this bad either. Ultimately, you know, there's yeah. still a lot of season left. Hopefully not, and uh, you know maybe Joanna uh, Cespedes could be on the way to help a little bit. I know you got some bumps they, and they, uh, to go over too. He's not expected to return for the series against the Yankees, but they're expecting he was able to uh, do small workouts on the field yesterday, and uh, mm-hmm. they're expecting him back Tuesday against Atlanta. Okay. Um, Scott, one other game I want to get into. Let's, let's stay in the National League East. The Nationals, it looks like they are hitting their stride, Scott. Um, they are now 10 games over 500. They light up the Tampa Bay Rays and their quote-unquote opener, Johnny Venters. I mean, Johnny Venters gives up five earned runs as that quote-unquote opener in only an inning. But, Scott, you know, part of the thing that I'm seeing with Nash, uh, with Washington right now is they're getting it from everybody. You know, we know about Harper. We know about Turner. But, you know, we like yesterday, for example, the kid Juan Soto, you know, two hits, productive, scores some runs, knocks in a guy. Anthony Rendon with a huge night, four for five, three ribbies. Guys like Michael Taylor, you know, they're starting to chip in. Remember, we talk about, not to bring up the Yankees again, or but some of these other big-time offenses that are cyclical. If Washington is getting some production from the bottom of their order, they're going to be dangerous. It looks like they are hitting their stride. We all know about the pitching that they boast at the top of their rotation. Uh are you sensing that Washington is starting to get in groove here, Scott? Yeah, and, you know, Anthony Rendon is starting to get into a groove. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the by-low window is closed. Over the last seven days, hitting two ninety two, Right. Uh, with five RBIs, uh, you know, the month of June. Uh, hitting two thirty eight with only two doubles, but I, I'm getting the sense that Rendon is about to start to turn it on. So if you get an owner who's low on him, I I think I would go out and try to actually buy Anthony Rendon right he's now. He's a buy right now, yeah. Yeah, as far as Michael Taylor goes, yeah, he's had uh, you know, good the last three days or so, but he's been awful for the most part. I don't know how he's stolen 13 bases or whatever <laughs> the number he has is in that range. But Adam Eaton's due to come back very soon, and when he does – but Michael Taylor is probably feeling the heat because he's probably going to get kicked out of that outfield. I, I, I see him going Pressure to, to fourth, perform right now. fourth outfielder spot. But, you know, his defense is so good in center field 
there's a possibility that it might keep him in the lineup. You're talking about, you know, guys on the cusp of a gold glove defender where he just doesn't play good offense. But I don't think they can send Juan Soto down. So I think Michael Taylor has to become that fourth outfielder because you know Adam Eaton is going to give you, is going to give the team pretty good defense. Yeah, it is. It could get crowded there coming soon. But uh, you know, it's kind of one of those good problems to have. Hey Scott, when I think about a crowded outfield over the last couple of years, the team that immediately comes to mind for me is the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, you talk about there's been so many guys there um, that has kind of been without a chair when the music stops, right? They lose to the Pittsburgh Pirates, but they're trying to get back, hovering over 500. Matt Kemp, Matt Kemp having a great season. He goes three for five, excuse me, three for four last night, five ribbies. He's hitting 353. He hits his 10th home run of the season, even in a loss. I do want to ask about this. Like, Kemp is no surprise. Remember, there was a time, although at this point it was probably over a decade ago, Scott, right, where he was like a top three pick. You know, people thought that he was going to be that kind of like 25-25 guy, was a, a borderline MVP kind of candidate, you know, this going back. But how do you see this Dodgers outfield shaking out? I mean, they have a lot of options as well. I know people like Jock Peterson have not performed. You know, Kemp out of nowhere. Puig has been in and out. Where do you think uh, – how do you think this Dodgers outfield kind of shakes out as we move along in the season? Well, you know, obviously Puig's got his spot. Right. Uh, in center the field. Hitting, the way Kemp's you know, playing. The, yeah, in, in, center, in center field right now – uh, you know, it looks like Peterson for now. Kemp is really pretty much nailed down left field. And, you know, they need Chris Taylor at shortstop right now. So mm. you know, I don't know if it's that crowded. Uh, I think that's the honest, way it goes. It's, it's, it's pretty much, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking at, uh, I'm probably looking at it, ju- it just being, you know, what it is right now. Okay. Fair enough. On the other side of things for Pittsburgh. But as far as Kemp, though, as far as Kemp, yeah. though, 467 in his last 17 games. Now and, that's hot. You know, this is a guy who picked up of waivers in Tout Wars. Mm-hmm. I remember I was, I was at Tout Wars, and we had just finished the reserve round, and and Brian Ambos, uh, who's one of our listeners and, like, one of the best pure fantasy baseball players I've ever known, came up to me and goes, why didn't you pick up Kemp? I told you I love Kemp. <laughs> I said I had no room for him on my roster. A month later, I picked up Kemp, and, you know, here he is ripping it up. You know, Brian was the guy who said, I think Kemp is going to have a great, great year in Los Angeles. And Cody Bellinger is starting to turn things on. There, there was talk of even sending him to the minors. Right. They dropped him down in the order, and now he's homered in consecutive nights. So, you know, this team still has key guys on the DL here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, m- most notably, what happened here with the outfield is Chris Taylor was playing center field, but Corey Seager had to go on the when DL, Seager and that pretty much moved Chris Taylor from center field to shortstop. All right, last thing I want to say on this game, on the other side, Scott Pittsburgh, Josh Harrison has returned. You know, he returned, I think, about a week ago, you know, to the top of that lineup. He has a nice little game. He goes two for three, some doubles, three ribbies, and this is one of those kind of like – you know, he plays second base mostly, but he has a lot of eligibility, you know, and I talk about some of these guys that can play a lot of different positions. I have Harrison on one of my teams. You know, you get second base, third base, and outfield. That's a valuable piece, right, Scott? This is a guy who, you know, professional hitter at the top of the lineup um, for Pittsburgh, yeah? Yeah, but he's, 
you, you hope the average stays where it is. Yeah, is that two seventy? It might regress right a little bit. He's going to give you some steals and a little bit of pop, but he's hit pretty good since he's come off the DL. Uh, you know, nice, nice plugger with some versatility for the end of your lineup, and also the fact that uh, Vasquez got the save last night and was clean. You know, this guy had, had some forearm issues and was going up and down recently. There was some thought that he might lose the closer job, but now he's, it looks like he's safe. All right, fair enough. Hey, Scott, you got any other bumps and bruises from around the league real quick? People that got banged up going on the DL. I saw Archer went on the DL. Unfortunate Alex Reyes is going to be gone for the rest of the year. Yeah, the, what else we're seeing from around the league? Yeah, the Reyes thing was really the big thing that I, that yeah. I was going to mention. Uh, you know, he's out for the year. Uh, Inside Injuries was thinking that they're bringing him back too soon. And check out Inside Injuries' new article on our homepage. Adrian Beltre sat out yesterday, you know, Dave Rest, but they feel like like Beltre is a big risk. Heimer Candelario dealing with the finger. He he was available off the bench yesterday. Could be back in the lineup today, but, uh, you know, this is something that they'll they'll probably have to keep their eye on as well. Chris Davis homered yesterday, but... Uh, inside injuries on Roto Experts is saying that right now that you know that he he still is uh, something of a significant risk to get re-injured, but that Madison Bumgarner is okay. You know, check out that full report on RotoExperts.com uh, right now. And uh, obviously Simmons went on the DL. We talked a little bit about about that yesterday as well. Mookie mm-hmm. Betts may not be uh, coming off the DL when he's first eligible tomorrow, so I have to keep an eye on that as well. All right, we certainly will keep an eye on Mookie Betts. Remember, he was performing at an MVP level. We're off and running here. If you want to join the show, the number to call is 844-843-6879. Another way you can join the show, we got a poll question up. Remember, we're doing, we're trying to figure out who is the face of baseball. We thought we had a little bit of an upset brewing yesterday, but then Jose Altuve came back. He is advancing in our tournament. We have the notorious Scott 512 matchup today, and uh, maybe we'll get our first upset you know we always think about the 12 seed against the five seed in march madness maybe it'll happen here the brackets today the five seed shoni otani the rookie phenom that everybody knows is going up against the number 12 seed maybe the best pitcher in the majors right now justin verlander that is a very interesting matchup and verlander has the early lead we'll get scott's take on this matchup we'll hear scott spending a little bit more time with some of the baltimore orioles who are in town we're talking with Adam Jones and with Brad Brock today. All that and more. We're even going to dive into a Roto Experts article about what would happen if we redrafted fantasy baseball now two months in. All that and more coming up on Roto Experts in the morning right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We are jam-packed today. We'll have Mike Leone with us in the second hour as well. Come on right back. It's El Frey de Fantasia and the spitting statistician right here on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Steiner Sports is the leading memorabilia provider for the New York Yankees, Rangers, Giants, Knicks, and the Brooklyn Nets. Featuring hundreds of items from your favorite athletes, Steiner Sports is your source for the best sports gifts. Go to SteinerSports.com slash box and shop our collection of memorabilia boxes, which include 10 gifts for the price of one. We've made one for each of your favorite teams. Hurry, supplies are limited, and these are some of the best deals we have ever offered. So go to SteinerSports.com slash box today. Back on Roto X 
of Method Man and Red Man, correct? Well, I'm just saying, well, come on, you tested me on the Beatles. You asked me if I could name all four Beatles. Come on, Scott. Well, that was, that was, a, beginning, that was a beginning question, and you passed it with flying colors. All right, so here, I don't know how to set the, set the knowledge level. Come on. Me now. Method Man actually actually played, plays fantasy sports. I, Does he really? He used to, yeah. He was, he was in MTV's Fantasy Football League like a number of years ago. But come on. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Like, like, play a little Method Man and Mary Kay Blige for me, you know, Mary Jay oh, Blige Mary, for me. I'm Mary a... Kay Blige, Scott? I said, sure? I said, Jay, Jay. There you go. Okay, I, fair enough. Okay, I I, like... we, can start, we can start going deeper with my questions, though, I think. <laughs> I, think, I, I, think I asked you who the lead singer of, of Aerosmith yes. was. You said Tyler, but I think, I think you failed on Led Zeppelin, though. I think that but is true. I think that is true. Even... I got to, like, the third question, and who wants to but be But don't even the, start with me on, like... Like we're like I was I was I was I was hip hop in it before you were man I'm old school I, I grew up listening it. to Run DMC before Rock This Way I hear that early Yellow Cool J I like that like, I need love like the, I need love that kind of yeah stuff. like the bad <laughs> album was like one of my favorite and radio I, interesting and I like that one of one of my most favorite rap artists of all time Houdini. Oh, okay. Listen, yeah. I respect that. But listen, Scott, as a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, you know I got to respect all five elements of hip-hop. But I digress. Scott, <laughs> we do have an upset brewing. It's early, but we put up on this poll, the face of baseball, we put the five seed, Shoney Otani, against the 12 seed, Justin Verlander. Scott, right now, Verlander has 90% of the vote. It is early, but we may see our first upset. We're talking about kind of the face of baseball, and we all thought Otani could be a dark horse in this because of, you know, um, how much pub he's getting now in this kind of two-way player. What do you think about this matchup, uh, Otani versus Verlander in our face of baseball brackets? Verlander's a better baseball player, but Otani's mm -hmm. got the higher profile, right. especially when you talk internationally. To me, I think it's, you know, if you're domestic, you can make a case for, for Verlander, but there's just so much attention in pubs surrounding Otani that even though Verlander has had a terrific Hall of Fame career, mm -hmm. I'm actually, right now, Otani's the hotter guy. I'm yeah. going Otani. I'm surprised that it is uh, so big in the Justin Verlander uh, side. We may have our first upset seedings-wise. I thought it would be Otani as well because of the I don't buzz think it's that an upset. E I don't think it's an upset either way. No? So you think this is uh, like this should be wind up being a pretty close matchup. So we'll keep our eye on that all day. Maybe we'll be retweeting this out to get more votes. I think this is going to be an interesting first round matchup. But anyway, Scott, you know, yesterday we heard, uh, you know, from Manny Machado. We heard from Jonathan Scope. You had a chance to talk with some of the other Orioles today. We're going to hear from their kind of captain. And, you know, uh, Adam Jones. And listen, Adam Jones... Scott, you know, you've mentioned before that you think he's, like, kind of a great guy, a great interview. I, I've seen him also on, like, Team USA in the World Baseball Classic, you know, and he really wants to be kind of one of, I don't want to say elder statesman, but really a respected player among uh, Team USA and, uh, and among Major League Baseball as well. Right, Scott? Yeah, one of the best interviews in Major League Baseball. And despite the fact that one uh, Baltimore Orioles reporter said to me, you know, this – Clubhouse has been dead all seasons. Like Adam Jones still looks like he's having a lot of fun playing baseball, and uh, you, you can certainly hear it in this interview. He's actually on his way to, to having one of his best years ever. Uh, when people think he's going to be dropping off, mm -hmm. right now he's hitting two eighty eight 
with 10 home runs, 26 RBIs. The speed isn't there anymore like it was five years ago, but you know he's on pace to have his best power season since 2013. All right, let's hear it. Uh, straight from the horse's mouth, this is the king, Scott Angle, with Orioles center fielder Adam Jones. Got in with Adam Jones. Adam, you grew up watching the Padres in San Diego. Who who are some of your favorite players growing up or anybody you tried to emulate? Well, I still do watch the Padres. I know I'm, I play for the Orioles, but I still do watch the Padres. Um, favorite players growing up, obviously, Tony Gwynn. Um, that's for obvious reasons. The guy was, I mean, unbelievable. Um, but some guys that not many people, obviously people know, but think I wouldn't normally say. Obviously, uh, like Steve Finley, one of the guys I've, uh, once I switched position to center field. I, I looked up a lot of video of him, uh, Mike Cameron. Uh, but he didn't play for the Padres, but these guys looked up video of. Uh, Greg Vaughn, Ken Caminetti, Chris Gomez, um, Kilvio Veras, Wally Joyner. I'm probably naming off that 98 team. That was really special to everybody in, everybody that was special in San Diego that remembers that. You know, So that was arguably one of the best years of my childhood for baseball, and that team was just really good. And unsung heroes like John Vanderwall and guys like that, <laughs> Carlos Hernandez, and you know, Andy Ashby, Joey Hamilton, obviously uh, with Hales Bells coming at the end with Trevor Hoffman. So uh, you're hitting for excellent average versus lefties this year, and uh, power versus righties is you know is is that anything due to your approach or just the way the ball is falling? You got it right. It's the way the ball is falling. I I've tried to tone back the caring about how the hits come. As long as it falls for a hit, I really don't care how it comes. It's, it's, I just want to be on base to pass the line for, uh, for the next guy. You're in your 13th season yet. You're, you're on track for one of your best years ever, it seems, statistically. Uh, you know, what, what's been the keys to your long-term consistency, both mentally and physically, and do you feel like you're a better player now maybe than a few years ago? Mentally, I just think it's just the age, the time, you know, time spent here, the experience. Um, the rest of it, I, the answer is, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I look at it as I have an opportunity. I still, my body still feels great. I still feel I have another um, you know, X amount of years. That's up to uh, the, the talent, talent evaluators. Um, but I think that I just, you know, I've been blessed, knock on wood, been blessed by uh, by good health. You know, I know a lot of people have I've had injury bugs in their careers, but I've been blessed by good health, and hopefully that maintains. And I've always been a uh, person who believes if I'm available, um, I should be able to do something for your team. So um, I just think I just just touted to being available, and the guys, my teammates, are always pushing me. Not, I don't know how much you pay attention to analytics, but uh, you know, according to the analytics, you're hitting the ball uh, the hardest. Your hard hit rate is your best since 2013. Even if you don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, do you feel like you're hitting the ball the hardest that you have in years? Well, that's good news to know. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I, I, there's so many different things about the analytics that I, I respect uh, and I appreciate. There's a lot of them that I think is complete eyewash and irrelevant, but, you know, me personally, I'm just trying to go out there and play. Whatever the whatever the stats and all that stuff say, as long as it's uh, we're winning at the end of the day, I mean, that's the reason why you why you play. But to that, you know, it's good that uh, it shows that I'm making better contact, uh, more consistent uh, contact, and um, hard contact as a defender, as a former infielder and, and a current outfielder. You hit the ball hard. It's not easy to catch the balls that are hit hard. It's a lot easier to catch the pop ups and the uh, the slow grounders than the hard grounders in the line drives. 
Last one for you. You play fantasy football when uh, it's the other way, and people tell you, not that you know how fantasy baseball works, but they say, Adam, I've had you on my fantasy baseball team. You're doing good for me. Because you play fantasy, do you take that as a compliment? Um, yes and no. You know, it's – I think we play you – know, I don't know if the other sports, like does football players play uh, fantasy baseball or fantasy basketball? Does basketball play fantasy baseball? Some basketball players play Yeah, I think most people play fantasy football over the other sports. Um mainly because it's Sunday and you get one day to get all the sports in. Um, but, you know, it is, it is a compliment, obviously, because um, someone's investing, investing their personal money to try and win more money, obviously. So you look at that as, like, you know, uh, a good thing that they see you as somebody that can help them win some money. I, I think I'll, I'll put it in, in that. Been like, and some people don't play for money. Yeah, some people just play for, for, the, for the bragging rights and – you know, it's still it's still appreciative that some you know because they say one day when they're not calling your name, that's the day you're gonna miss it. So it's good that they're still using my likeliness, and I appreciate it. Fair enough. There's a couple of minutes there with the King Scott Angle and Adam Jones. Hey Scott, one thing I gotta say that I take from this right up top. You know, you talk about Adam Jones. He had how he was reeling off some of the former Padres. I noted that he talked about Tony Gwynn. He mentioned Mike Cameron. As well, you know, and I talk and I think about Adam Jones kind of as one of the few uh, standard bearers who are African-American in Major League Baseball as well. He named guys like Tony Gwynn, Mike Cameron, guys like Adam Jones right now, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, CeCe Sabathia, Curtis Granderson, really, um, you know, being out there and kind of being a role model for some young boys of color who maybe want to get into this game as well. Another kind of feather in the cap of Adam Jones being a great ambassador to the game. And it, that struck me when he was reeling off some of his role models when he was uh, growing up loving the Padres, Scott. Scotty. All right. Well, listen. Uh, I, I look at, I look, sorry, I look at that from two angles. Uh, number number one, you're certainly right. Uh because, you know, the African-American baseball history is just so rich and deep. And, you know, if uh, young people take time to study it, they're going to find a lot of uh, a lot of great performers and a lot of great history over the years, which I just doesn't think is, is recognized today. But the, the other part was you could tell what a true Padres fan he was. He said, yeah, I, I still watch the Padres. And he also rattled off names like Steve Finley. John Vanderwall, Kilvero Vamos, Greg Vaughn. You know, you could tell that th- this was probably my favorite interview all season and one of my favorites ever. He was just terrific and very forthcoming with everything. He talks about staying healthy. He has not played less than 140 games since 2010. You know, he's he stayed healthy. And, you know, I, I pretty much really liked his answers on every every question. You know, he ta- talked about his hard hit rate. You know, he's not aware of that. A lot of these players don't pay attention to the analytics. But I think the thing I respect about him is you hear that he still has an enthusiasm for the game. He still feels like he's not past his prime. And despite the fact that the Orioles are crumbling all around him, Mm -hmm. he's going out and he's getting it done every day. And he's getting it done for fantasy players, too. And his, uh, his answers were so candid, even about... The fantasy answer, he said, He said, look, you know, people are investing me in one way Helping or people another. with money, right. <laughs> yeah, or whether they're just playing for bragging rights. He said, you know, it's going to be one day where they don't call your name anymore. And 
you know, you you're not you're not looking for you're not looking forward to that day. But he he's having a really good season, and since since 2010, he's been one of the most consistent players in fantasy baseball year in and year out. And you wait for that fall off, and it still hasn't come. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Remember yesterday, Scott, one of the things we mentioned with Machado is how you could talk about, like, in the in the tone of voice and in that stuff and how you talk to some other people, how it, it wears on you, right? All the rumors and all the losing. The Baltimore Orioles have 19 wins on the season. That is the fewest in all of Major League Baseball, okay? So it's hard, like you said, to stay upbeat, to stay positive. And, you know, Adam Jones certainly does that, you know, amidst – you know, a, a losing team, and I've even said, you know, I've seen speculation, you know, if the Orioles want to sell the farm, you know, they could do that as well. But, yes, Adam Jones, definitely one of the good guys in Major League Baseball. But that's not all, Scott. You also well, before had a you chance. Go on, oh, go before ahead, you go, go on, though, yeah. uh, fantasy-wise, though, you didn't spend money on him as a prime outfielder. Right. And yet you have to – you have to like the return. You know, talking to Jonathan Scope yesterday, he's remaining upbeat. So I think some guys, when the team is starting to fall apart like this, it, they focus on their individual goals and they keep a positive approach. With Machado right. yesterday, there's so much else going on around them. Right, the trading, a, the a different atmosphere, et cetera. But the one thing that, that uh, you know, off, off uh, when, my, my, when my recorder was off, the one thing that, that Jones did get frustrated on, he almost slammed his glove down. He goes, I finished third in fantasy football last year. He's like, I can't take it no more. I keep falling short. Well, listen, all he's got to do is listen to Roto Experts in the morning. We'll get him ready to go. You know, we'll get him ready to go to win his league. He's going to be an exclusive that edge subscriber. This year. That's what it I'm is. And listen, make sure of that, yeah. And you guys, guys, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start being able to have that exclusive edge package, getting you ready for fantasy football for sure. Um, you also, Scott, had a chance to talk with Brad Brock, right? Brad Brock is in the closer role right now for Baltimore. You know, everybody is talking about the return of Zach Britton. Zach Britton went one and a third scoreless, I believe, yesterday in a rehab assignment as well. A lot of people are expecting him to be back in the Orioles, um, you know, maybe as soon as the beginning of next week. And that could create a change in role and responsibility for Brad Brock. Um, the King, Scott Angle, spent a couple of minutes with Brad Brock. Let's hear a little bit of that now. Scotty with all the Orioles here on Roto Experts in the Morning, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Let's hear a little bit of that. Scott Angle, Fantasy Sports Network here with Brad Brock of the Orioles. Brad, knowing that... Uh you know, that you might be moved back into a setup role soon. Uh, you know, how, how does that work mentally for you, knowing, uh, you know, one, one month you might be in, in setup, one month you might be closer? You know, how do, how do you prepare for that both mentally and physically? How is it different? Yeah, it's not, uh, not too different. I mean, physically it's the same thing. You just got to be ready to come in the game a little bit earlier. And uh, with mindset, you just, you know, just got to be ready to pitch whenever Buck says. And that's kind of how it's always been here. I know I've kind of slid back into the closer role here when Zach out, Zach's been out. But it's always just kind of whenever he says pitch, go out there and get the outs whenever he asks. So some some major leaguers I've spoke to, though, said there's there's like a closer mentality, though, that like a different mental approach that you have to have in the ninth inning with all the adrenaline flowing and the game on the line. Do you agree with that? Uh, I don't know about the maybe different mindset, but I'd say it's definitely a different um, 
at bat approach by the hitter for sure. They, when they get two strikes, they're just not willing to get that third strike. They're really battling to just put the ball in play and do whatever they can. So I'd say that's probably the biggest difference. But when it comes to mentality, uh, I try to just keep the same. Um, I think, like you said, with the adrenaline flowing a little bit, I think it actually helps with your stuff. It kind of your stuff kind of plays up a little bit. But besides that, just going out there and um, you know just getting those three outs before they they score runs to tie the game. You play fantasy football, not that you know how the baseball works, yeah. but when people say, hey, Brad, I have you as my fantasy yeah. baseball closer <laughs> or uh, maybe my holds guy in a deeper league, uh, how do you react to that, being the drafted instead of the draft or the free agent pickup instead of the guy who's doing the pickups? Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Uh, the last few years I've noticed some people saying that to me, and it's just kind of funny because, like you said, you play fantasy football and you never think about being the guy that's drafted. You always think about drafting guys. So the fact that there's people out there who are actually drafting me and having them on their team is pretty pretty awesome. They have it a couple of minutes at the King. Scott Angle with Brad Brock. Hey, Scott, he talks about his prep being pretty much the same regardless of role. You know, that's what a lot of people say, right? The same thing, like regardless of how the defense is shifting on me, regardless of if I'm pitching in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. These athletes are such a creature of habit and just like doing their mechanics right, trusting the process. It's about the inputs, not necessarily the outputs. Interesting perspective out of Brad Brock. Yeah, and Brock, Brock's got to be one of those two guys. One of those guys got to be ready for either role. And you know, yeah. there's, look, Britain could be traded. and He could stay in the right. closer role. So, you know, you're not going to cut Brad Brock when Zach Britton comes back. He's got 18 saves over the last two seasons. Two in the last two days. Uh, doesn't get a lot of opportunities with Baltimore, but he's he's been mostly effective. He had a little bit of a bumpy ride there earlier in the season, but mm-hmm. now he's kind of straightened things out and. Uh, Brock is, Brock is a guy you got to keep on your radar regardless of the Zach Britton situation. I, I, we were talking about the Padres a little bit before. I just, you know, i got a tip of the cap to Brad Hand. It's, you know, the, yeah. the guy's got 18 saves. And, you know, sometimes people don't want to draft guys like that because, because uh, you know, the team is you only one team 28 is games. Right. But he's saved 18 of 28. This guy, I don't think anybody recognizes how dominant he is right now and one of the best closures in the game, period. Uh, Yesterday against Atlanta, he struck out three of their hottest hitters in the eighth inning in a two-inning save situation, including Freddie Freeman, who who hit a home run in his first pitch he saw yesterday and had a batting average of 386 in 26 games coming in. Freeman, one of the hottest hitters in the game, Mm -hmm. and, 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 and Brock struck him out. Hand. Hand, I'm sorry. Right, Brad Hand, yeah. And you're absolutely right. Listen, look, Brad Hand doing absolutely work out there in San Diego, and you may not think about it. You know what I think is interesting, Scott? You mentioned, like, kind of generally speaking, closers for bad teams, right? Whether it's Brad Hand, whether it's these Orioles guys, whether it's a guy like Kelvin Herrera, whether we talked about Nate Jones, you know, in the past. Like, it's interesting. You're right. Maybe there's not a lot of wins, so there's not a lot of save opportunities. But what I also think, and people don't necessarily subscribe to this, I always think, though, these bad teams also, when they do win, they're rarely blowing people out. You know, so the games yep. are kind of the safe situations. There may be less wins for the team, but I do think generally a greater percentage of the team's wins are within three runs, and so it still lends itself to a safe situation. Brad Hand may be also another guy to watch uh, around the trading deadline. And we talk about Baltimore. Everyone's saying that Britain could be on the move. Don't get it twisted. They could trade Brock as well if there's interest there. 
right, yeah. Scott? Isn't that a viable option as well? What do you think about some of these closers, my point, on some of these closers on bad teams that they ain't blowing people out, so you may have more opportunities for saves because of the way those teams probably wind up playing close games in their wins. Yeah, look at look at the Astros. As good as they are, the, the, right. the, you know, the, the save opportunities for Ken Giles have been very, very inconsistent. So... Uh, it, it's it, look. I I go always go back to when the Expos were around and Ugethubina was getting a ton of games for for bad teams every year. And then in Chicago, Chicago with the White Sox, it's flipping again. You know, Joachim Soria two saves in the last two days. Uh, Nate Jones with a blow up uh, the other day, blowing an opportunity, pitch a clean inning. But it really we don't know who it's going to be in Chicago. Maybe Nate Jones gets traded into a situation where he's a more valuable right. setup guy. But yeah, good. in a higher Closer, leverage situation, closers on bad teams. Kyle Baraclaw got an opportunity this week, mm-hmm. and he was able to convert it. But but yeah, you're going to have to keep a watch. On that on that situation, you know the Padres are playing in a lot of close games. You know the Marlins uh, doesn't see doesn't seem like they're playing in a lot of close games. Uh, the White Sox, you know, you're not getting really a lot of saves from them either. The Blue Jays, I can't remember the last time they've gotten a save. So there are a lot of bad teams that don't get the saves, but you know there are exceptions to the rule, such as Brad Hand. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll keep an eye out on that. And you know George Kurtz for RotoExperts.com is all over the closer situation for sure. Go on out and get all the great content over there at RotoExperts.com. Scott, here's the other thing. You know, how about your Royal Bump? I was looking at the Miami box score yesterday. Our guy, friend of the show, Lewis Brinson, hit two home runs yesterday, Scott. He's got nine on the year. He went three for five. So maybe the, uh, the bump from being interviewed by the King is long-lasting, huh, Scott? I guess in some cases, but overall, Brinson really hasn't hit well. There was some spoofy story out there on the internet yesterday about how some somebody's trying to make a push to get him in actually in the All Star game. You know, with oh really? Stuff the, stuff, stuff the ballot for him, but uh, right in ballot, that, huh? That was that was a blowout win for the Marlins yesterday. You know, yeah. not something you're you're really going to see very often to the point where Jed Jerko actually had to pitch at one point. Yeah, I was just saying, when I saw uh, Lewis Brinson with two home runs, I was like, hey, you know, maybe it's still uh, the Royal Treatment. He's going to see this occasional game. You know, <laughs> there, I think last month Brinson had a two-home run game, too. There's a lot of natural power there when he gets a hold of something. He can drive it, but, you know, the guy strikes out just a ton because, you know, the, the fundamentals otherwise are just not there. But he's going to get a, continue to get a chance to play in Miami, and rather than be in AAA, he's going to see what he can do against major league pitchers. And, you know, that could go either way. It could either ruin him or it could really help his development. Yeah, absolutely. Next hour, Scott, we're going to have Mike Leone from Daily Road, and we're going to talk a little bit of DFS baseball. So if you're waiting for our DFS baseball preview for today, which we usually do in this hour, we'll be doing that a little bit later on in the show. And, Scott, I would love to get your take because Jake and I, we're you know, we starting to go team by team. We're in the AFC North this, these days, and we make you know bold predictions about some of the teams uh, you know, that are in that division, every team we cover, let's say. I wanted to get your take on a couple of the things that we've discussed so far. Um, Scott, we both think that the wheels are going to fall off on some level for the Baltimore Ravens, and we think Lamar Jackson in the second half of the year is going to have more than just the package that he's going to be able to be out there and get his bumps and bruises. When, you know, 
I personally also think Tyrod Taylor has a chance to perform well and hold off Baker Mayfield for a little while. Where do you think? Do you think Mayfield or Lamar sees the field first in the AFC North? Not in a package way, but as the actual starting quarterback. I probably lean towards Lamar Jackson because hmm. Tyrod Taylor is a very respectable quarterback. Right. And, you know, can be a nice bridge for this team. Uh, of course, there's going to be pressure for there if they start, you know, uh, one and four, et cetera, you know, right. to bring the kid along, et cetera. Uh, but uh, Lamar Jackson, I, I think, you know, already reports about how he really has to learn the verbiage and, you know, has a lot to learn at the pro level. So it's kind of a tough call. But Joe Flacco is you know, really, you know, his what, what he does on the field now is declined. It's, he yeah. can really only three throw effectively uh, beneath the head, between the hash marks, that I mm-hmm. think at some point the Ravens get off to a slow start here. Yep. And Jackson could just be such a spark, and you can let him learn on the job, even though there may be bumps. I, I just feel like, like, like the starting quarterback is actually better in Cleveland than it is in Baltimore. Yeah, listen, I believe in Tyrod Taylor. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's going to have a better offensive line in Cleveland. And to be honest, he might have better weapons than he ever had in Buffalo. Jake said that uh, for the Baltimore Ravens, he also says that no wide receiver on the Baltimore Ravens will even be worth a wide receiver three. He does believe Crabtree will be the top wide receiver, but thinks no wide receiver there will be a wide receiver three. What do you think about that? I think that's kind of fair to assume. Uh Outside of Crabtree, but I have to imagine that that uh, Crabtree is like right on that cusp. It really depends yeah. on what happens there, it's because you're not going to get a lot of yardage either from Crabtree. I think his yardage possibilities go down now, uh, at least with Flacco and quarterback. So I can agree with that. I can see that. I can see Crabtree being more of a borderline wide receiver for. All right, fair enough. We'll keep our AFC North previews going on, Scott. Definitely want to get your take as we chime on in on that. We'll talk tomorrow. Have a great rest of the day, Scott. Roto Experts in the morning. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You are now tuned in to the Roto Experts. Welcome back to Proto Experts in the morning right here on the Tennessee Sports Radio Network. The King, Scott Engel, has tagged in the all-in kid. we got Jake Seeley right now, hour number two, Roto Experts in the morning. How are you feeling, Jake? Uh, are your spirits as low as the Cleveland Cavaliers these days, or are you feeling good? You feeling like Kevin Durant right now? No, everything's fine. I don't feel like the Cavaliers. <laughs> I mean, yesterday, though, we said that, like, this had to be their shot, right? Their home game. You know the old cliches about home teams defending their home court. It did not happen yesterday. The Golden State Warriors get an eight-point win, 110-102 to over LeBron and the Cavs. Kevin Durant goes off. You know, at the beginning of the series, people were talking about how, oh, Kevin Durant, you know, didn't have the uh, toughness. He wanted no part of LeBron James, blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah. He, with 43 points, puts it collectively in the city of Cleveland's eye. 13 boards, uh, 8 assists as well. You know, LeBron, obviously, another triple-double, over 30 points. He's looking good. But uh, is the uh, is the life been sucked out of Cleveland? Is this Are you comfortable calling this over, Jake? 
That was definitely over. I don't even know if we get game five, honestly, at this point. I don't know how you come out for game four and play. And I'm not talking about LeBron James. I'm just talking about the rest of this team. The rest of this team has just been uh, – I mean, like, they did play somewhat better, but there are still a lot of mistakes. Tristan Thompson missing easy shots and easy shots and easy shots at the backboard. And, I mean, they play a little bit better at home. Uh, you know, there's a lot of right. people who say, you know, the role players show up better at home than they do on the road. And all that type of stuff. But it, the fact is, this is still LeBron and literally everybody else. This is, we talked about before with this, the Paulus Potrovich or whatever the heck his name is. I can't think of the top Popovich? of my head No. The one that LeBron used to play with when that team was worse. That was like his best, second best player. Slat? No. No. Oh, no the, the player. player. Excuse me. Excuse I me. said player. Are you talking <laughs> about like Matthew Dellavedova? No. I'm not talking about Matthew Dellavedova. <laughs> Oh, who are you talking about? I have no idea who you're talking about. The second Just, fiddle? It's, it's like you're like, oh, what's that guy's name? It's like Scott or St- like Poppy or Nathan? No, it starts with like, it sounds like Pop, like it's like Sushipozovich or whatever his name was. Like So anyway, continuing, the fact is, he's got, thank you, Sasha. There it is. Yeah, because it, it's like Peter for you, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> The point being, the team is terrible. It's not quite as bad as it was back then, but they have nothing to overcome what is a team that just is as good as they were when they had the triumphant in Miami. This is what it is. It's the how do you stop Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and the rest of them? You know, it doesn't even matter if Iggy Dollar is not a hundred percent running up and down the court. No, absolutely. They have they have successfully changed the geometry and the math of NBA base, uh, basketball, you know, the way they can stretch the floor. And also, you know, they're going down and getting three when you're getting two. The one thing I'll also talk about on this one, Jake, that I'd love your take on, you know, we talk about, like, Big Ben and his home or road splits, right, if, if uh, like, that's a real thing after we see such a sample size. I really believe now that the Golden State Warriors in the third quarter is, like, a real thing. They are blowing people out, like – Left and right in the third quarter, you know, they started down and then, you know, another huge run in the third quarter. What what do you think is behind that? It seems like there's actually something to this. Even Steve Kerr yesterday was like, yep, I guess we just play well in the third quarter. Do you, you think this is coincidence? You think they just, uh, you know, can maintain their level longer than most other teams in a game? What do you think goes into this third quarter of Golden State? Yeah, so, by the way, real quick, it's Sasha Pavlich. Pavlovich. There you go. Pavlovich. And you worried about me and my pronunciation. You had to go digging in the crates. No, I'm not. The, I'm not the pronunciation. You were just coming out with stuff that had nothing to do with what I was talking about. It had nothing to do with oh, the pronunciation. No. I'm not telling you to try to pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> That's <laughs> who ahead, I was talking ahead. about. Talk to me about the third quarter here. So, in any case, I, I don't know. Who knows? They play better than that. I don't know. I'm not in the locker room. We talked about this last week. I asked the question last week. What do you think I have an answer for a question that I asked? Yes, because, you know, over time, you find the answer to everything, Jake. So I defer to your expertise. That's what it goes over here. This I, is clearly no, a narrative no. for the Golden State Warriors, though. It, it, so it's exactly. But the narrative usually doesn't have much of a reason. That's why it's a, a narrative and not a fact. But whatever All right, it might well, be. We, there's no, I don't know. I don't know. I literally don't know why they play better or come out hot or do so well in the third quarter to outscore everybody. By so, I, I have no idea. I don't think anybody does. All right. Well, they may only have to do it one more time en route 
to another NBA championship, which would be three out of four years. And if Draymond Dream could have kept his legs where they belonged, it might have been four in a row for the Golden State Warriors. It certainly looks like they are on the precipice. Game four will be Friday night. Let's take a turn over to uh, the NFL. You know, here's how's this for a narrative, Jake? Jamison Crowder and Alex Smith are building a rapport together in minicamp. I always, listen, this is going to be one of my diamonds in the rough when we talk about the Washington football team. And I don't know if it's as simple as this, but I love the check down nature of Alex Smith. And I love the short to intermediate route game of a Jamison Crowder. So it seems to me like they should have some chemistry. I'm encouraged by the fact that we're getting reports. So I guess it's a narrative. Let's see if there's any rationale behind it. In PPR formats, Jake, could Crowder wind up being a wide receiver three? Well, this is more about why this is Crowder bouncing back. And you want to talk about narrative? Let's talk about narrative about Alex Smith. He's not a check down king. I don't know why everybody keeps doing this. Alex Smith was actually one of the better downfield passers in football last year. And everybody just last year for the first like six weeks, and then no. he's performing at an MVP level, and then they kind of reverted back to form when the play calling, you know, kind of changed over when Andy Reid like seized play calling again. Didn't that happen? No. No, again, narrative. And it wasn't just last year. It was He's been moving to this for the past couple seasons. He's been coming a more complete passer. It's the fact that you go back to his early career and people just stick to that for the rest of his career and not understanding that Alex Smith is not that guy. Alex Smith is not Joe Flacco. Alex Smith is a good deep ball thrower. But, again, the entire point of this is just Jameson Crowder is going to bounce back. Jamison Crowder had a terrible down season last year. Not a whole lot went right for the wide receivers, especially if you're talking about Ryan Grant being your best option with everything right. that was going wrong last year in his breakout season of 500 yards and four touchdowns. That just tells you how bad things yeah. were for the Redskins. So, look, I still think that it's Doxton is going to be the touchdown maker. He was top 20 in the league for the entire season despite doing nothing for the first five or six weeks in red zone targets, and then he was actually inside the top 10 over the last nine ga- or eight games of the season. So Doxon's going to be in the mix too. This is what we do is like every single year. We start talking about stuff in June because we've got nothing else to talk about. And all this report, all this, you know, that's good. I want to see the report. I'm glad they're connecting well. But the fact is it's not Jameson Crowder's not also going to be a top 20 wide receiver. So Jameson Crowder's just going to bounce back, as you said, in PPR the year before last where he was a wide receiver three. So it's just Crowder's back. That's, that's what we really care about. Yeah, he struggled with a little bit of injuries a little bit as well last year. Um, kind of had a strong, I think in the second half of the season, towards the end, he got a little bit stronger, had some weeks there, Jake. But, yeah, hopefully he can, in your terms, bounce back and still be viable, especially in, in PPR formats. Hey, hey, Jake, yesterday we were talking about the Baltimore Ravens, and they were in the news a little bit, albeit in June. It seems like they're trying to be a little bit uh, Patriots-like, loophole This is now the second time that the Ravens have been fined for infractions in, in OTAs. In 2016, the infraction was uh, like in rookie minicamp. I think they were practicing in pads, which was, uh, you know, against league rules. Um, they lost some practices as a result. Doing it again, they're now a repeat offender. What do you think about I mean, we talked about the Ravens a lot last year. I don't think this really matters. But uh, what's anything behind this for you, Jake? Behind the fact that they get suspended again or penalized again, I should say. Penalized uh, again. Yeah, they're repeat offenders, Jake. Uh, well, okay, well, quick two things. I thought we were going to come back to Alex Smith real quick, so I was looking oh, up okay, while we were talking. 
No, 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 no. This is just, no. I, I just want to leave it at this for everybody, and then we can completely move on, uh, including Jimmy Garoppolo and Deshaun Watson. Despite the fact that they didn't start for most of the season, he was still eighth, actually tied for sixth overall in yards per attempt. Alex Smith. So there you go. He was only behind Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Drew, Drew uh, Watson, Garoppolo, and where's the other one? Oh, Jared Goff. He's t- yeah behind Jared Goff. So okay. there you go. And so what? Ty was, what do you think? Ty was Stafford. What do you think moving from uh, Kansas City to Washington does to that in the new scheme that he's in this year? Nothing. Nothing? It's the same, so you still think? Yeah. If anything, it would just open things up because it's less of Andy Reid's offense. But anyway, back to the – Fair enough. So Ravens. There needs to be a stiffer penalty. That's the problem. Really? Yeah. It's not a deterrent, right? Losing some practices is not really a deterrent. This is now the second time, and possibly some have speculated this is the third time that they've been – you had to get something taken away or something done because that they were doing things they weren't supposed to be doing. Doing it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Like last year's was they had pads on. When right. still you're not supposed to have pads on in the heat and doing what you're doing at this point of the season, all that type of stuff. And I know it's going to be hot as hell in July and August, but it's still like the whole point is the rules are the rules. And if you've now broken them for the second, third time. There's something here. Like, they keep trying to – it's not the Patriots that they found a loophole in the rules <laughs> with the whole lineup situation. I mean, that's just – you're allowed to do that. They just found the loophole. You did it. Right. The, they made the, the rules retroactively yeah, after that. The Ravens just keep trying to break them. So, like I said, that's why I said there needs to be some type of a stiffer penalty because obviously it's not deterring – as you said, it's not a deterrent at this point. Yeah, it's not a deterrent. But, like, what really is the sweet spot there? Because I don't think this is an infraction where you, like – lose a draft pick because of it, you know? So what is it that's more intense or more of a deterrent than the OTAs, but less than kind of losing a draft pick? Is it a substantial fine for the organization as well? Yeah, take the money out of Harbaugh's pocket. I guarantee you he'll care then. I guess so. It could be. Remember, I also personally think this is Harbaugh's uh, last year as the head coach in Baltimore anyway. It matter even more then because he doesn't have money So maybe he needs to protect that money a little bit more. That could be interesting. Um... One other real quick thing, Jake, and kind of news and notes maybe before we move on. Yesterday, we talked about Zach Miller and the kind of classy move that it was that the Bears would sign him to the one-year deal, move him to the pup list, that sort of thing. I don't know if you saw yesterday, Ryan Shazier uh, walked to the podium and had a press conference. And Jake, he said that his goal, he wants to play again. Now, listen. I, I, you know, the man can do whatever he wants, you know, and I, 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 I appreciate his dedication, you know, and I think it's a nice thing to have that goal and stuff. But like, dude, I would just, I would chill, you know, I would chill, be an ambassador, be waving your terrible towel in the press box, be an inspiration. What, what is it about the makeup of these guys, Jake, where he like wants to go back and play again? I remember asking you, Jake, about Rob Gronkowski a couple of weeks or a couple of days ago and being like, why not just retire if you're Gronk? Like what's left to do? You know, and Gronk did in fact say um, to reporters at minicamp that he just needed to take the time to see if he like kind of wanted to go through it again. You hear all the players always saying like, when they're at towards the end of their career, like, do they want to go through the trials and tribulations and rigmarole to get ready? And then on the other side, you have Ryan Shazier, who's nearly paralyzed, and his first thought is how he wants to get back. I mean, you know, admirable, but I would tell him to, like, just relax and, and, and focus on, you know, living first. Jake, what do you think? I, I have no idea what's going through his mind because, you know, we're not in that position. So 
I mean, that, honestly, you know, that's the fact. Is we all sit here and can say exactly what you're saying, and I don't disagree at all. This is the fact is like, mm-hmm. dude, you're done. Just keep focus on your health for the rest of your life, walking for the rest of your life, being with yeah. your family and with your kids and your kids' kids. And, you know, like that's what matters in life is being able to be a functioning human. And then more than that is, is what matters in life. So we could all sit here and definitely agree and say, what the hell are you thinking? But as you said, at the same time, as, I don't know whether it's an athlete, whether it's this all you've done for your entire life, whatever it may be, I guess it's just a different mindset and different makeup. I, I, again, I completely agree and don't see any reason why he would want to. But, I, again, right. you know, I don't think any of us really know what it feels like to, you know, football's been our life and now you're taking it away from me if there's a sure. chance that I could play again. I mean, this you can say the same thing about David Wright. David Wright, at this point, right. said in how many years? That he's, he hasn't even been able to get back on the field. And, and he's still I, trying, though. He's right, still and trying, I, though. I, intervi- I interviewed him when he was at this, his foundation down here. And the fact is, if you look at him and you talk to him, he still desperately wants to play baseball because that's his passion in life. Yeah, I mean, I think – you make great points, Jake. To me, it's like we sometimes think of these athletes, you know, as kind of like just mechanical robots and interchangeable parts. And sometimes you got to think like they're humans out there with their own families, their own beliefs, their own kind of life to think about. You know, we think of them sometimes as just cells and spreadsheets and productions of stats, you know. But when, when things like this, I, I, think it, uh, I think it really kind of hits home for me at least about like, Listen, man, you know, there's, there's still a life out there. You talked the other day about the NFL career, like when we were talking about the Oklahoma Sooners quarterback and the, the, the path to millions and stuff. We were talking about how the NFL career is usually only like three or four years old. That leaves a bunch of guys still in their late 20s, you know, with a whole life ahead of them, you know. And unfortunately, we talk about, you know, the CTE and all that stuff. But, like, dude, like, enjoy your family. You're a millionaire. You're loved. You're revered. Be happy. But, you know, you can't, as to your point, never really get into the mindset of the athlete. Hey, Jake, you know who you also can't get into the mindset of? The voters in our face of baseball poll. I don't know if you're going to be able to move the needle on this one, Jake. We have an upset brewing, okay? And you can guys can go on Twitter, find us at Spittin' Speeds, at Roto Experts, at the All In Kid, at Scotty Roto X. We have the uh, notorious 5 12 matchup today, Jake. The 5 seed Shoni Otani against the 12 seed Justin Verlander. And uh, this could be a thing about the definitions of our brackets and the face of baseball. But, Jake, Justin Verlander as the 12th seed right now stomping Shoni Otani right now with 82% of the vote. If you disagree, I don't know if you're going to be able to move the needle and move the voting this much on this one, Jake. Where do you see this matchup? No, you know, I thought it should be Shea Otani. I thought the fact is the problem here is should have been – Verlander should have been higher to begin with. Verlander didn't deserve to be down at 12. Um, Not that it really matters, but for this matchup, people are, again, people are getting probably hung up on what they know, especially from a fantasy analyst perspective Mm -hmm. or fantasy player, whatever it is. People are going to, you know, especially because he's having the year he's having. You had this conversation last year before he got traded to the Astros. I guarantee people aren't dra- aren't picking this. I guarantee they're they're saying it a lot. Well, last year they didn't know Shoni Otani at all. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, you talk I about Verlander this thing versus anybody. Right. It's it comes down to what we keep on saying. Like the fantasy players 
mindset on the performance versus what we're talking about in terms of the face of baseball, the recognition, the Q rating of it all. But I still think this is a surprising result. Even if Verlander, it looks like this, warranted being a little bit higher in the standings. And remember, I tried to get the last seedings narrative, but you interrupted me with Roto Clio a few days ago. But Verlander, this is a huge gap. I'm surprised by the gap in this one, Jake. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. Do you think you're going to be able to move the needle back to 50-50? Are you going to retweet and be like, vote for Otani? Are you going to lobby for uh, Sukadik and Otani? Okay, we're, we're done with that. That's just stupid at this point. Well, it is the call. It is the call. No, for it was Otani. one call for a three-run home run. It was dumb. Okay. All right. On. Well, do you think you'll be able to move this closer to 50-50? We're ta- I'm, I'm asking about the, the power of your social media force, Jake, of your lobbying. Because you did it with Altuve. You did it with uh, Altuve was 10 points, and obviously not people realizing what the argument was. And what I was trying to say before is the fact that as soon as you factor in this is like Ichiro, this should be the other way around. This should be like 80-20 Otani because every time he bats, people are watching. Yeah. People are tuning in just to see him bat because he's a spectacle. And then you yeah, people are tuning in at 3 in the morning local time to do that, right. too. And then you factor in Japan and the overseas and all that type of stuff, and this actually shouldn't even be close for Otani. Yeah, well, if you want to make your voices heard, holler at us on Twitter right now, Justin Verlander with a huge lead on Shoni Otani. We do have about 20, 21 hours still left if you want to make your voice heard here on Roto Experts in the morning. Hey, Jake, let's dive on in uh, to our team-by-team preview. We don't have as much time as usual, but listen, we're talking about the Cleveland Browns. We've spoken about them a lot already. We've talked about the Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, kind of will he be a bridge? Will he perform well? What does that mean for Baker? What I want to get your thoughts on, Jake, is really about this running back room. Okay, you know, they signed Carlos Hyde in the offseason. They draft Nick Chubb. There's Duke Johnson there as well, who, you know, a lot of people think is more that kind of PPR, pass-catching back, a la Theo Riddick, let's say. Um, How do you think this shakes out? Because to be quite honest, Jake, I think Carlos Hyde can hold off Nick Chubb. And really, I'm higher on Carlos Hyde than I think most people are. But I'd like to get your take on the Cleveland running back position. No, it's honestly, it's Nick Chubb. I, I keep really? saying this Nick Chubb. Yeah, it, it's going to be Nick Chubb. And this team is already, I think, I don't know if it was Barry K. Calvin or whoever it was, but somebody's already said that the fact that don't be surprised if he leads the backfield, which is what I was saying as soon as we had the draft come around, because this is just like last year with Dalvin Cook and the Vikings. Everybody's like, well, don't forget, they spent all that money and signed Latavius Murray. This is the same situation all over again. They signed all that money or spent all that money to sign Carlos Hyde because they didn't know what was going to happen. They had to make preparations for this season. They have Carlos Hyde in there. If they don't draft anybody, great, thumbs up. Nick Chubb falls to them. You don't ignore a talent like Nick Chubb where they were drafting to be able to take that pick. Nick Chubb has a little bit more of a threat than you know the situation with Dalvin Cook because Dalvin Cook – you know, with Latavius Murray was a wider gap in talent than right. Chubb is to Carlos Hyde. But the fact is, whether it takes a week, two, three, four weeks, it'll be by the midpoint of the season, this is Nick Chubb's backfield, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's earlier than that with Carlos Hyde being mixed in and Duke Johnson being mixed in, and for people still concerned that Duke Johnson, you know, one of the leading pass-catching running backs in the NFL, one of the best, and I love his talent. They've all, the team's already also come out and saying that he's going to see a reduced role because it's, they want to get more in Nick Chubb, and they realize Nick Chubb's also a good pass-catcher. So 
this will be Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb's backfield. Next year will be the workhorse role where we see, like, you know, maybe a Todd Gurley breakout in the second season for Chubb. But as of right now, it's going to be a little bit frustrating. He's a draft and hold for me, or let somebody else draft him and get frustrated and then trade for him. All right. I mean, I see it slightly differently. I think, um, I think you know, Carlos Hyde is much better in your analogy than Latavius Murray kind of ever was. I think the gap between Cook and Latavius Murray, who I always thought was kind of just the guy, um, is, is a somewhat different situation than Carlos Hyde, who I, who I do believe is kind of a better back, and I do believe will have some kind of opportunity to make this even more frustrating for Chubb owners, for Duke Johnson owners. Also, Duke Johnson has the kind of pass-catching back. While he may have a reduced role, I think this is going to be a nightmare for all three guys. I wouldn't be surprised to see Hyde hang on a little bit longer than you think, but that's why we have different opinions. You know, I, I, could, I could see, you know, there was a hyped rookie in Derrick Henry, you know, coming out of Alabama, and he just didn't necessarily get going right well, that's away. Completely different. Okay, tell me why. Because Derrick Henry is not a good pass catcher. Derrick Henry is not somebody who can handle all three downs. Derrick Henry is just a power back. He's he's made to split the backfield. Nick Chubb isn't. So where do you think Chubb winds up? You think is Chubb is Chubb like a straight up like back end RB two for you? I don't have your rankings up right now, and you don't have to pull them up. But like you know, you you think. You think Chubb right away is viable? Because I, I, I think Hyde, I actually think Hyde, uh, when all is said and done, is going to be just, you know, kind of at the same level. That's why I'm probably staying away from all of them. And I'm, I'm, I'm higher on Hyde than you are, clearly. But how do you think ultimately it breaks out? Do you want any of these guys this year in redraft leagues? Yeah, I already said that. I want Nick Chubb because I'm getting him later. And I, I said as a draft and hold because it's not going to be to start the season. All right. I mean, well, listen, this is listen, listen to my breakdown when I'm telling you these things. No, I hear you. Trust me. I hear you. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. My question is I'm trying to pull you, pin you down a little bit more. You're saying draft and hold, but where is that exactly? You know, I mean, like, I think I generally would tend to stay away from what I think is a crowded backfield, Jake. So I'm just, I'm just lower on Chubb than you are, and I'm higher on Hyde than you are. That's, that's all it comes down to. I think it'll be a little bit of a different piece of the pie. That's all. That's fine. It's fine. Let's, you want to talk about wide receivers? Because this is where I think is interesting, too. You know, Josh Gordon has been seen by many as, like, this kind of target monster that you force-feed the ball to. But Jarvis Landry, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if Jarvis Landry winds up with more targets than Josh Gordon this year. You know, first of all, I don't know if Josh Gordon stays, you know, above board for 16 games, shall we say. But uh, Landry is going to get a big piece of the pie, especially, in my opinion, if Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback for the first, you know, whatever, quarter or half of the season, whatever the case may be. Um, but where did, how do you think this breaks out, you know, in terms of piece of the pie with jo Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry? I don't think it's going to be significantly more than Josh Gordon at all. Josh Gordon I have ranked higher, and honestly, Jarvis Landry is being overdrafted right now. He's got a one-to-one -one ratio share of every single time it's targets is production. And that's usually the case with a lot of people, but the fact is his efficiency has pretty much remained the same no matter who his quarterback has been, and that's my point about it, is if he's getting 150 targets, he's become one of the best. If he's getting 90 targets, he's middle of the road because it's just all based on the targets and it's immediate production, consistent production off of what he sees. He's not going to get the target share he was getting with the Dolphins now, not with Josh Gordon in the mix. Josh Gordon, you don't ignore the talent just because you have a possession receiver like Jarvis Landry. So the share is probably going to be pretty close between the two, 
And now if you're talking about a pretty similar target share between the two, Josh Gordon's going to do more with those passes than Jarvis Landry is. I'm not saying that Jarvis Landry isn't worth drafting. I'm not saying Jarvis Landry is not a wide receiver, too, for me, because he is. The problem is the people who still have him rated as a PPR wide receiver one like the years that he was with the Dolphins because it just doesn't matter. It's, it's not going to be the same. He's not seeing those targets with the Browns. Okay, so let's, let's, let's break it down a little bit more here on the wide receivers because this is where I think, you know, we talk about the different types of wide receivers. Like, isn't, is this plausible, Jake? Could they both wind up with, say, I don't know, 140 targets, roughly, right? No, that's and could, way too many. That's 130 targets. Still too many. They, you know how many two tandems of wide receivers have almost that, that many targets, almost 300 targets between the two of them? So go 125, go 120. You know, regardless, what I'm talking about here is that Josh Gordon is going to have far more yards with these with these targets, and Jarvis Landry should have far more receptions in these Not targets. Far more. You don't think so? You don't think Josh Gordon can wind up with 75 and Jarvis Landry can wind up with 90? That's not far more. That's less than one a game. Okay, I mean, listen, but when you look at it on aggregate, you know, I'm just talking about – what I'm talking about, Jake, is the difference in the kind of wide receivers that they are and, you know, the kind of 31 Baskin-Robbins flavors of them all. Josh Gordon is still going to be your depth per target. He's still going to be your kind of game-breaker. And, and Jarvis Landry is still going to be your underneath guy. So when you talk about how Landry may not be a PPR wide receiver one anymore, he is still, in my opinion – and, I'll, you know, we can make a gentleman's bet on this one he, – he is going to have more – catches than Josh Gordon, whereas Josh Gordon will have more yards. And I'm just talking about the difference in these types of wide receivers. we got to educate the fans on this one, Jake. I am educating the fans. 15 targets is not going to make you a better wide receiver in fantasy, even in PPR, or 15 receptions. That's 15 points. I think, listen, and you think that uh, you think that the yards that Gordon gets and the touchdowns that Gordon touchdowns gets completely far more overcast them. Listen, what if we should make a gentleman's bet on this because I do think Jarvis Landry is going to get more than uh, – I could see the difference being a good 15 or 20. You think it's not that much. I, I, I mean, I would be – No, I said bit... even if it is that much, Josh Gordon is still going to far outscore him in PPR. All right, we'll have to see. I mean, there are some potential gentlemen's bets we have to make on the Browns. I'm higher on Hyde than you are, clearly. I'm higher on Landry, clearly, than you are. Uh, you know, kind of maybe we need to do a little bit of I have Hyde and Landry. You have uh, Chubb and Gordon. I would need a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of like minus 20 fantasy points or something like that. But we need to work this out, Jake, because uh, we both like the Browns a little bit. But we think it's going to come from different places when we're talking about Cleveland. When we come back, Jake, though, we have Mike Leone talking DFS baseball with us. We're going to get ready uh, to win a little bit of extra cash on a shorter slate. It's Thursday getaway day games as well. Find out what Leone has to say. Roto Experts in the morning, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. A chance to win two tickets to a 2018 World Series game? Go to dailyrotocom DKMS. There you'll find a link to a free DFS baseball contest every day. The contests are sponsored by DKMS, and they're looking for your help in the fight against blood cancer. For many patients, a bone marrow transplant is the best chance for survival. Find out how you can help and play in free DFS contests with a shot at winning two tickets to a 2018 World Series game. Go to dailyrotocom DKMS. That's dailyrotocom DKMS. It's Carton and Friends! Everybody get up. No more single-use plastic straws. 
The effects of these little guys, it's killing things. <laughs> the effect on our planet is terrible. From now on, recycle straws by passing it to you your friend. Multi-use straws only. <laughs> Start okay. stashing your okay. straws. Save the straws, people. Next time you see a plastic straw like this, attack it. Bad straw. <laughs> Weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Welcome back. It is Roto Experts in the morning right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Dane Martinez, the all-in kid, Jake Seeley, and we are lucky enough to be joined right now by Mike Leone over there at DailyRoto.com. They make millionaires over there at Daily Roto, I also want to tell you guys, listen, if you don't know by now, you certainly have not been listening to this network. Not only do you get all the information you need to win a little bit of cash, but you could also win a chance to get two tickets to a 2018 World Series game. Just go to DailyRoto.com slash DKMS. They run free contests all the time. And listen, if you're in baseball and you hit 300, you hit 30%, you're an all-star. But in terms of 30% of people being able to find a bone marrow match for a transplant, that's just not going to cut it. That's where you come in, see how you could register, swab your cheeks, potentially be a match for someone fighting against this disease that is blood cancer. And, hey, you could win two tickets to a 2018 World Series game. Go to DailyRoto.com slash DKMS. We bring in Mike Leone right now from Daily Roto. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing all right, doing all right. Let me ask you this. I always start by asking you kind of, weird ways that I can get ahead of the game, right? I told you, I asked you about, you know, the pricing of some of these kids coming up, if there were inefficiencies there. I asked you if we could find inefficiencies with things like the Tampa Bay Rays starting the opener last last week, and, I, and you mentioned that could be viable, like, as a second starter. Um, and, you know, that that's in play again today. Here's the thing I want to ask you today, Mike. When you got guys on the Hill like John Lester, or you got guys on the Hill like Stephen Matz, can you try to attack them specifically for stolen bases, given the fact that you know how bad they hold runners on? Would you ever do that, get a try a cheap guy, thinking you might be able to get a chance at a stolen base, which is a lot of points in DFS, attacking some of these pitchers that can't hold runners on? Yeah, I definitely think that's viable. We actually, that's one of the changes we made to our projection system this year and the offseason to try and improve it is we've layered that into our actual projections to both the opposing starting pitcher, how often they're allowing stolen bases on a rate basis, and the opposing catcher. So we get some of the battery statistics involved in the projections. And those guys that you mentioned are right up there. There's some other guys, like the Atlanta catchers, for example, and not the pitchers, but the catchers, Tyler Flowers, Kurt Suzuki, they're really bad at throwing out opposing base runners. So even just day in and day out, there's like this hidden edge on top of just the pitcher batter interaction that adds to the upside for the hitters against them. All right. Well, I'm going to use kind of like a sports analogy here, and I'm sure everybody, look, we've all played sports, and people are going to be like, still, ah, it's not the same. But I just, I think it's a good one to ask you because I'm actually in the middle of this, and you could call it a slump. And basically, for the past almost hmm. week, it seems like I'm nailing the pitchers, Mike. I mean, I'm talking on average, I'm scoring between 50 and 65 points between my two pitchers. Like, I can't miss on the pitchers. Last night, Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez. A lot of people weren't on Sonny Gray. But you look at that, and my hitting has gone nowhere. And I'm talking last night, J.D. Martinez, Charlie Blackman, Brian Dozier, Eduardo Escobar. 
Uh, my lineup, like my hitters, just are going nothing, and it's big names. It's not like I'm skirting around trying to find low-level matchups. When you're going through a stretch like this, as a player as you are, is and this is where I draw the, the baseball comparison. When people say, or even basketball, keep shooting your shot, just try to hit through it. You'll get through it. Like, do you keep throwing money down and keep playing because you know it'll turn around, or do you sometimes take a day or two off and say, I need to breathe. Things just aren't working right for me right now. I mean, I generally play through it. Where I'll take a day or two off is if I don't have the full time to prepare, to, you know, to completely digest the lineup, the weather, everything that's going on. Uh, sometimes when I'm going really well, I'm going to make sure I play, you know, no matter what, even if I might not have the time that I generally like to put into it. Whereas if I'm going bad, I really want to make sure I have the time to put into it. I don't want to keep the losing streak going because I made a mistake and I overlooked something or didn't consider something that I should have considered. But for the most part, especially Jake in your situation where you're doing really well on the pitching, uh, you got to keep going at it because the pitching is something that's a bit more predictable. It's the hitting that just comes high variance and uh, baseball, just the way the sport is the nature of it, having a week of cold bats, quite frankly, is something that you're probably going to go through every single MLB season of DFS. It's not something that's rare or even all that unique. We're talking to Mike Leone over here from DailyRoto.com. They make millionaires over there. Great stuff up early in the day, giving you a DFS preview of all the action in Major League Baseball. Mike, I want to ask you this also. Listen, on this show, there has probably been no more talked about player in the first two, two and a half months of the season than Paul Goldschmidt. And what I want to ask you about him is like, how do these formulas of these, you know, uh, DraftKings and FanDuel, how do they compare kind of recent form versus, you know, a really slow start? I mean, if we were talking a week ago, Paul Goldschmidt was still hitting on the interstate or right around 200. He has another big game last night. I think he goes four for five. He's up to now 233. You know, Jake also did a great article about kind of regressing to the mean. And this can happen in a positive way also, like it will, we all think, with Paul Goldschmidt. Do the how quickly do the algorithms for pricing kind of react? You know, how quickly did they put the price on Paul Goldschmidt all the way down? And are they really quick to move it back up when it seems like he's breaking out of his funk? How do they do these pricing algorithms, Mike? So that's one of the changes we've seen in the last year or two, or even three years, is that they've been slower to move prices downward based on recent performance. And just in general, the price tags are less based on recent performance than they used to be. So when DFS was first starting, uh, it was honestly quite a bit easier. You know, the competition was easier. And part of the reason for that was this pricing on recent performance where guys that were going really hot were quickly priced up and guys that were going cold were priced down. And the DFS players themselves, they liked to to play the hot players and avoid the cold players. They're naturally taking the players with the wrong price tags, and you could just really uh, build a lineup just ignoring recent performance and get some really good values. Now you end up in some tougher spots because you get guys like Goldschmidt when they're in really good matchups and they're going cold. They're down a little bit, but not a lot, and it does make you think a little bit more than before. So when I've got a guy that's, really going cold and you know you think he's going to bounce back but at the same time there's the possibility that something's going on that you're not seeing whether it's a hidden injury or just uh, some sort of skill gap in their game right now it, it does make you think because you're not getting that huge discount so what I like to do is 
really just compared to the value of the rest of the position. If my cold hitter and I, and I have him projecting way above everyone else at the position, you know what, that's fine. I'll take the guy. Uh, I'll you know trust the math. But if there's a lot of viable alternatives around him, then I will you know kind of deviate even if he does project pretty well because it is tough, uh, Dane, to get that pricing uh, in a spot where you can really take advantage of it, especially on the guys with longer-term track records. DK and FanDuel are doing a pretty good job being patient with their pricing algorithms. All right, well, another strategy kind of situation for you to see whether or not you sit out or play is looking at tonight's slate, five games, it's Garrett Cole and a bunch of, like, I'm swear, I swear some of these are create a player. Ryan Stanek, David Head, like, like seriously, like what's, what, when it's a slate like this, and not to mention the fact the second-best pitcher is facing Garrett Cole, it kind of feels like you're going to be like, who's got the best Garrett Cole lineup? And in a situation like that, do you, is this another one? Do you sit out? Do you play more because you think you'll be better at building the best Garrett Cole lineup? Do you play more tournaments or more cash in this type of situation? Like when you have a, a, Basically, when it's playing out like this, what is your strategy? If I'm playing, I want to make sure that I have an edge. And if you're uncomfortable and don't think you have an edge, you really shouldn't play or you could play for a lot, you know, less than you normally would be playing for. And this slate, yeah, Jake, it's definitely unique. I mean, we get short slates all the time, but even for a short slate, it's pretty unique. I did the premium podcast with Logan Hitchcock on Daily Roto and was just trying to pinpoint what the ownership on Garrett Cole is going to be because it could be, you know, north of 80% on both sites in cash games, which is wild. But uh, the gap we have him on DraftKings, we have him projected for 10 more DK points than any other starting pitcher on the slate. And then we have everybody else projected within like 10 and 15 DraftKings points. So the gap of everybody else, Cole, is above that times two. It's just insane. And I think what you want to do in cash games, if, you, if he's so clearly a play, 80%, as high as that sounds, if you think he's 80% owned, that's 20% of the people that are probably paying the rate. Um, so I do think there's a little bit of an edge there. Now, if you think he's 95%, maybe you don't play cash games because there's not an edge. In tournaments, it becomes you know, really tricky, and that's where you might want to sit out, might play. I do think that if you've got the, uh, the stones, I guess, that not playing Cole, possibly even stacking against him, is interesting just because very rarely do we get one sort of centralized point that's going to swing this slate so much. And if for whatever reason Cole has a bad outing, which isn't crazy, people are going to play him because there's no alternatives, but it's not you know absurd to see Cole have a, a subpar outing, give up four or five runs in Texas where it's 90 degrees out. Um, if that happens and you've got those Texas bats, or even if you just play somebody besides Cole and then you can get in the expensive stack like the Astros and Red Sox, I do like the ownership that you're going to get on that, and I think that makes sense in tournaments. But uh, it's difficult. It's easier said than done, uh, something Dane and I have talked about with going contrarian before. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Mike Leone here of DailyRoto.com. Mike, I need your help. Jake is running away with this Roto Clio game on me. Okay, oh, so no. I need your help. You know, you gave me that insight on Greg Bird, and then I think we had a rain out last week. Is that I think and that's what happened. Twice I know, but listen, I need your expert advice. Can we gang up on Jake here? Okay, I want to tell you who I'm looking at today, and I want to see if you like my picks before I make them formal. You can help me be my coach 
because I need some help. Admittedly so. The all-in kid is dealing with, you know, full boats and nut flushes over there, and I'm over here going all-in with middle pair and top kicker. So what I'm thinking about today, and I'm sorry, Jake, I'm going first because I need to pick the brain of Mike Leone. He helps me hopefully close the gap. I'm looking at, uh, you know, you said it's a bad day, you know, not some, some, some creative players, as Jake said. One guy that I like who's been pitching well, he has a piss-poor lineup against them, and he's at home. He's not on the night slate, but at 115 Eastern time, Miles Mikolas pitching to a 2.49 ERA against the Marlins. I like how that sets up. Tell me I'm, uh, tell me I'm legit on that pick, Mike. Yeah, I think he's a really strong option. Obviously, the Marlins at the very beginning of the year, they were kind of pesky against right-handed pitching, but... Uh, you know, they, it seemed like they weren't striking out a lot, even though they weren't that good. We've seen them very quickly drop towards the bottom of the rankings and weighted runs created plus against right-handed pitching and swing and miss quite a bit in, in that section. The issue with him from a DFS perspective is just that he's run so well that the price tag is up for him. And I do think we, we talked about pricing with hitters. I do think it moves a little bit more quickly with pitchers uh, on, in the pricing algorithms. And he's the most expensive starting pitcher on that early slate. And you just wonder if he's got the strikeouts in him to pay off that tag when you've got someone like Jose Barrios in a great mm-hmm. matchup against the White Sox where we've got him projected for significantly more strikeouts. And so it's a good thing I don't have to worry about costs when we play Roto Cleo. So sign me up for Miles Mikolas as my pitcher. And then, listen, you talked about these bad starters, or at least who are some of these guys. The Dodgers are running out Dennis Santana today as their announced starter. He's got an over 12 ERA in limited action. I'm going to go with one of these hot rookies at home. Give me Austin Meadows to get on base with a hit today. What do you think about that one, Mike? I think that's a, an excellent pick. I mean, you're getting the platoon edge against Santana. I yeah, will say buddy. Santana, Santana is probably better than that. You know, he had a, his debut in Coors Field, which was pretty unlucky spot to get called up and, and put in. But in the minors, he had an awesome, you know, Jake, what do you call the strikeout minus walk percentage that you like, oh, sob? That, that's not, yeah, Nanda called it, yeah, sob. Yeah, S-O-B-B, yeah. He had he has had a, a really good sob in the minors, and they've got you know decent bullpen. So I think it's a good option, but it might not be as great as it looks on the surface. Yeah, well, we'll so see. I'm, I'm I appreciate move, you I'm validating for the I'm most part, though. I'm All right. Well, more, listen. I'm, I'm, I guess we'll say. I listen, but I appreciate your advice every week, Mike. We'll see if uh, we can make millionaires. Inside information. With guys. That's right. I need it. I'm unabashed oh. with it, Jake. I don't care. Where do you want to go, though, Mike? Real quick. Do you have uh, some picks real quick today? Uh, I just do want to say, like, on that night flight that we're talking about where there's not that very many options, we talked about that Tampa Bay relief pitcher last yeah. week. Yeah. Austin Pruitt's going to be the guy that's going to go for them this week at $4,600. I think that's an interesting play in tournaments because I believe everyone's going to go in cash games or even in tournaments to the rookie for Boston, Jalen Beeks, who's got a ton of strikeout upside, just 5,700 on DK. So I like Jalen Beeks a lot as your SP2 on DK in most formats. But if you think he's super chalky, Pruitt, you're not looking at big-time upside, but if he gives you five innings, uh, 12 points or so, and then Beeks has a poor outing, you've also saved some money to pay up for some bats, which is important when you're paying 14k for Garrett Cole and a good bit of your lineups. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe there's a chance to take advantage of the opener today in DFS. Thanks for sending a couple of minutes with us, Mike. We'll talk to you next week, all right? 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. Talk to you next week, guys. It sounds good. So, hey, Jake, let's wrap it up. Yeah, I got inside information. I don't care. It's all good. If I have an expert, I'm going to try and take advantage because you are widening the gap. Why don't you close out the show today, Jake? Where are we going in RotoClio for you? Oh, uh, did you enter your picks this time? Because I'm did. not in there. So, I'm okay. in there. All I right. got gotcha. you. Okay. Uh, so, you know what? I'm, look, I went 0 for 2 yesterday. So, oh, so you're going you know, chalky. <laughs> oh, you know, well, you know, I have to. I have to you know, well, also, I had him in DFS. He, I went DFS and he went 0 for 5. I have to go back to JD Martinez for the home run. Oh, boy. Was, <laughs> look, he's my boy. I got to come back. He's got to save him. He's got to save him. Please do. Uh, for the win, this is a tough one today. I'm sticking with the whole win, but I am going with Michaelis. I'm going with Michaelis oh. after trying. I try, at least I'm going back to the well today. I went to Flaherty yesterday. He got beat up by the freaking Marlins. So I'm going back. All right, so I can't gain on you at all for Michaelis. Maybe I'll change the quality start and hope it goes that way. We'll see. But there it is, another Roto Experts in the morning. We wrap up the week. We wrap up our overall AFC North starts. Maybe have Gabe Morency to talk about the Belmont Stakes a little bit tomorrow as well. Have a great day, Jake. We'll get the Night Owl JP to enter the spreadsheet. It'll be all right. Roto Experts in the morning, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Have a great day, Jake. They can hear you on uh, Fantasy Football Frenzy a little bit later on today as well. The award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. See you tomorrow. Sale. That means huge savings for you. Get pre-finished hardwood and bamboo up to 36% off, including new styles like Mediterranean maple and bestsellers like silver stone bamboo. Take 25% off all dream home laminate and 10 to 15% off our best waterproof floors. More from just 49 cents, plus special financing and professional installation. Hurry, get to your local lumber liquidators today.